how do you constantly balance scale and innovation i think that's a tough one because you know when large programs get going there is obviously a lot of pressure to scale them up fast you also need to have a way in which you're constantly innovating on your technology while you're scaling what works it can seem that you want to change the, the tires of a moving car you know sometimes the car just gets way too big for you to do that or way too fast for you to do that but it's something i've always thought more about and which probably kept me more awake that hey is this the best version of what we can do or can it be better hi everybody welcome back to aid evolved and i'm your host rowena luke this space is dedicated to the stories of people who are trying to find a better way to do good whether it's fighting poverty or improving healthcare we'll be hearing about their hopes and their fears the risks and the triumphs and as we share these stories my goal is that perhaps we'll be able to pull out a few lessons learned for those of us trying to do the same today i am thrilled to be speaking with rahul malik who recently left the gates foundation to become an independent advisor before the gates foundation rahul spent decades rising to the top of what they call the big 4 by which i mean the four largest consulting companies in the world he made it to the top he was a partner at pricewaterhousecoopers and from the top he wondered what next and that's how he got into the gates foundation he spent the last 7 years leading the technology portfolio across the foundation's work in india which in many cases meant leading some of the most ambitious digital health programs in the world in the conversation ahead we'll talk about those 7 years that he spent working for gates in india Rahul speaks from a very high level about some of the key issues of scale that he's lived through firsthand. For example, the fact that success and scale always brings with it more work, more pressure, more desire to deliver. He's learned a lot over his time at the Gates Foundation and I particularly appreciated the evolution of his thinking from investing in specific apps or products or technology platforms and instead looking at the broader ecosystem. of innovation that he's fostering and growing in India. You know, when I think of the Gates Foundation, I think of them as a giant in the aid industry. But at the start of our conversation, as we're talking about Rahul's entry into the Gates Foundation, he was more struck by how small they were. So when you move from a consulting world, you are at the level you are at, as you mentioned, I was a partner, I had a team, a pretty large team which used to work with me. The Gates Foundation environment is a very uh, limited people environment. I think I was the 23rd or 24th person in the India office at that time. There were no teams uh, reporting into me as such. It was largely a collaborative group of people who used to work together and our teams are extended partners, the grantees and the various partners we worked with. So yeah, that was a change. That does sound like a change. <laughs> yeah. You have to practically do everything yourself. that takes some getting used to it's cool to hear you describe it as a as a small team cuz you know from the outside looking in you're like oh he's from the gates foundation that's huge <laughs> that's big but from your experience it was 23 people in india you know you're just getting the office set up at at the time right i mean uh, the office was around for a while but obviously even now i think it's about 80 90 people so the foundation's overall is i think about 1500 people so it's not expected to be a very large organization themselves but their partners and their extended families are very large we work with so many global partners all over the place so 
that makes sense yeah if you include that then we are a large organization but as just the staff on payroll we are not as large as many many players out there good to know and speaking of that partnership space could you orient us to you and your role and how you fit in within that broader landscape you know like there's lots of different actors that come together what did you do, I guess, <laughs> is one way of asking the question. In a typical corporate terminology, if you were to define it, I was a horizontal who used to work with various verticals, right? And I think the foundation with my hiring at that time, and then, of course, we, we expanded the team subsequently, uh, realized that getting a very focused digital team uh, to start with one person uh, would be a good idea rather than having digital only within the vertical programs, because that's typically how most development organizations do. Hey, I have a program, whether it's nutrition or family planning or maternal and child health, and I need to do some digital work, so we'll enable it within that program. There were a couple of other folks in Seattle who played that role, but in India, they chose to put this horizontal structure in place with me coming in which allowed me to interact with the various verticals. TB is the one I mentioned. And at that time, a lot of the work was in the health portfolio. Of course, since then, the work has expanded beyond health portfolio in what the foundation calls the global growth opportunities, uh, which Mm. includes uh, things like agriculture, sanitation, uh, the gender work we do, financial services support. So my role was super exciting, really, right? Yeah. In what job do you get to get to learn about newer programs every day? <laughs> it could also be a little taxing because uh, I would hop into a meeting on family planning and what we could do there. And then immediately after that, there would be a meeting on TB and then you'll walk out of that and then you'll have to walk into a meeting on, say, you know, sanitation. Huh. So... What I used to call it, I used to I have to constantly reboot my mind uh, as I <laughs> entered from one meeting to the other. But just just imagine the amount of learning one could get in that kind of an environment. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, make, it makes sense to me the approach that the approach that you're talking about. Can you talk a bit about maybe a specific project that you worked on that that you might have learned a lot from while you were at Gates Foundation, or one that had an impact on your thinking about this space? Yeah, I mean, uh, not just one. There were a few. Uh, I'll talk about, probably I'll start with the one which is closest to my heart because it was the first project I started with. So, you know, for whatever reasons, it's that was a TB program. And we were experimenting with how we could use technology to get a lot more uh, treatment adherence, tracking of TB patients going. Uh, as you know, India is the highest TB burden country in the world. There are very clear goals we have set as a country that we want to eliminate it. Uh, I think the government's put out a goal for 2025. The Gates Foundation and many other partners work with the government towards meeting that goal. And uh, one of the one of the biggest challenges has been around the fact that the people who access TB care are spread across both public and private sector. So it's not easy. In fact, many of them go to the pub, uh, private sector. So it's not easy to track and trace them. They're going to public hospitals, they're going to private hospitals. India has a huge private hospital network. Or they could actually be taking treatment through informal providers. So it's really hard to track them and their course of treatment, if not done right, uh, when they do come back to a government facility, they could have been in a shape which is far worse than had they come a little earlier, right? So uh, this whole public and private a model where customers or patients could go to any of these uh, facilities, but and you could not actually 
track them across the facilities was important for us to tackle. And technology could play a role, right? Because if you were to uh, track these patients across the continuum of care between public and private, that would have made a huge impact. Particularly for TB as a chronic disease, because you need to ensure that continuity of care, you need to ensure uninterrupted uh, treatment, uh, DOTS treatment in order to to tackle the disease. Yeah. And so I can see how that continuity of care would be particularly essential for TB. Yeah. And uh, we were very lucky that we had got some great partners like uh, Microsoft Research came up with the 99 DOTS innovation uh, yeah. which could help us track whether patients were actually taking their treatment. And if they were not, then, you know, you could call them back. The missed call alert based, very basic technology innovation, but very effective. Could you just explain for our audience how that worked? The 99 dots is a digital adherence technology. It was based on a the concept that, you know, for every strip of pills which somebody has to take for their TB medication, there would be, a, once you pull out a pill, there would be a number behind it, which you could call on a given a 1-800 number that could be called free of charge. And you could register that once you've called, it registers you as you've probably taken your pill. Uh, nice. Pill in hand is almost almost as good as a pill in the mouth. <laughs> and by, by doing this, you could actually effectively track and trace. And if you haven't got a... Nice. And this means that, you know, all these medicine strips had to be labeled in the right way. Who was it issued to? So there's a bit of technology to manage and manage that and, you know, make sure that it is done in the right way. And this was this is an effect. And it's been used in a, quite a few states in India. It was one of the programs which was scaled up by the government. And uh, digital adherence has a huge uh, cross uh, potential. You were talking about how, you know, why this horizontal view makes a difference, because now we could look at uh, digital adherence technology, say, for tracking IFA consumption, the iron and folic mm. acid uh, consumption mm. in women, right? It could be Absolutely. used for uh, in, in the NCD environment, you know, if you want to track people who have uh, diabetes. Yeah. So there are there are many applications of that. So, yeah, the TB program was a, a very interesting one. I learned the most on it. One, I obviously started appreciating that this problem of tuberculosis is a very, very serious one and it has to be tackled. So my general mm-hmm. sense of appreciation, uh, and I think I, I wouldn't say I am, but I think gradually I started becoming uh, a person who understood public health far, far better than what it was when I started off. I, I imagine you had to over time. That's, that's the on-the-job <laughs> training for you. It was just the first thing I naturally got into when I joined the foundation. It was a journey which had quite a few hiccups, if I may say so. Uh, It wasn't the easiest. Let's talk about that. (laughs) I want to hear about the hiccups. Well, uh, uh, we started off with with a large IT company who was to support working on this large global IT company uh, who started Mm -hmm. back in June of 2014 working on this project to design that universal access to TB care solution, as we called it. And... uh, it ran for some time, for a year, year and a half, and we felt that it was not necessarily the one which would ultimately scale. Why didn't you think that platform would scale? Well, it was just not very well designed, and we felt that uh, it was more designed as a, a very fresh, bespoke tool. Uh, we felt it probably needed a stronger uh, platform to support it, and uh, we chose a platform which you are very, very familiar with. Uh, at Dimagi at that point in time. Oh, yeah, those guys. Yeah. (laughs) Even then we realized that probably at some point in time, this platform would also not be the best suited for that use case. And then ultimately, uh, 
over a three, four year period after experimenting with a few platforms. I think now it's in a pretty good shape with the hub platform, which is designed and developed by uh, the Everwell team which is the same team which worked on the uh, 99 Dots innovation. Oh, interesting. Uh, I see huge, huge replication. I think one of the few good things about you know working in digital health and digital health platforms is that you see, uh, you, ha- you can potentially see a line of sight to replication of those in not just for different diseases or different programs. Say a TB platform can very easily transfer well to an HIV uh, management program but also cross-country, right? There's a huge global replication capability of many of these programs and investments. So I think one of the key responsibilities I took upon myself, uh, and as uh, the Gates Foundation does in general, was to see that how could this platform then have its cross-pollination across other geographies and other places where it could also serve well. Today, it's the largest and the only TV platform in India. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yeah, it's been able to narrow it down to one single platform over the years with a lot of effort from the government and uh, and various partners, stakeholders. It takes a village truly to get something like this going. For sure. And and I definitely remember talking about the, the TV project when it came up. The potential for impact there is huge because you're talking about direct patient care and treatment of this, of, of this, you know, of this incredibly harsh disease. And so the opportunity that exists in India, which, as you said, has the largest TB burden in the world, the opportunity there to save lives is immense. Looking back on what you learned from that experience, were there any warning signs along the way? Is there anything that you would counsel younger Rahul about how to navigate <laughs> this particularly challenging project? Well, you know, in the, in the, international development and especially the digital health world, it's really important to see uh, the partnerships where it's not just a technology alignment of what works well for the use case which you have, but it's also a sense of ethos uh, the partners who are working on it bring to the table. Hmm. I've conventionally find it tougher where the, the partners are conventionally very commercial organizations to work with. But I mm-hmm. find it relatively easier when uh, the partners have very specific social impact goals as well as part of huh. their organizational goals. So I've right. generally found the partners who had those kind of goals, who, as somebody described it to me, we are not for uh, not not for profit. We are for some profit. <laughs> <laughs> One could That's always debate what the, what does <laughs> some profit mean, but. Uh, <laughs> The fact is you can you can still be commercially viable, but yet be in the impact space, right? It, both of it can happen. And therefore, I've generally found in my experience at the foundation that it's largely the like-mindedness of the digital and tech partners who want to do greater good, uh, help create global goods, public goods. And while they might have uh, some commercial, uh, obviously, uh, you know, aspirations as an organization to grow, but yet a large part of their mind sits in that uh, we want to really do it for impact. Hmm. Interesting. And that's particularly relevant given that you have the experience of working in the private sector and you've worked, you have the experience of working with both kinds of organizations. And so you can see how it played out and how it was different in your time at Gates than it may have been at some of the other the other organizations that you that you worked with. Yeah. Did did working on that yeah. project change anything about your your future work? Did it did it establish any cuz you, you mentioned this is one of the first projects that you got started on. Um did it affect your future work in any way? 
But for one, I did not hire a large uh, global tech commercial organization for any further <laughs> work at that point in time. But I think I also then started consciously looking at that I have a responsibility towards contributing to the digital ecosystem in India, especially the digital hmm. health ecosystem in India. Interesting. So it need not it need not be just partners I have worked with or the foundation has worked with. It could be partners who have worked with other partners. You look at some of the large Indian philanthropies who have done digital work. Uh, the Tata Trust has done it. Piramal has done it. Uh, there are other guys who are doing a lot of good work. And uh, how do I, uh, as one individual and my team, we work with them? We don't necessarily always need to have a donor grantee arrangement in all these cases. But in how can we play a role of a facilitator? I think mm. in, in any any program, uh, facilitation is an important role to play as well. So mm. I think uh, while I started with a few partners who I worked with, uh, including some of the consulting guys, they also played a major role in driving many of these programs, mm. like the ENYs and the PWCs and the BCGs of the world. But uh, we were all able to come together as a global or not even at an India level, we were able to come together as a digital ecosystem and where it's important for one to talk to another where they don't necessarily have to be engaged with the Gates Foundation, right? So hmm. I think that is one responsibility. I, as my team also grew in the foundation, uh, I decided to probably play that responsibility a lot more uh, while we continue to focus on the specific programs we were investing in. Yeah. Is it, just to reflect back what you're talking about there, is it, is it fair to say, Initially, the TB project, you know, it was Gates Foundation working closely with this big international IT firm, uh, and you're you're mostly, you know, engaged with them because they have the quality and the reputation. But later on in your career, you started to focus more on the ecosystem and the environment around new innovations, which meant still continuing to work with, uh, you know, some global consulting firms, um, but also working with with local health innovations and, and fostering dialogue and innovation that can happen without you as Gates Foundation being so much involved? Yes. And, you know, uh, and this is just the digital ecosystem I talk about. Any program which I, we worked on, and especially the very large ones which went to national scale in India, uh, this ecosystem is a combination of people. Of course, one of the most important stakeholders, if you are doing it in public health, is the government. And I've been mm. extremely lucky to have some great partnerships from people in the government who have been so driven and committed in the health or the nutrition space to drive digital work there. They are one key part player in that particular ecosystem. Of then, course. of course, you have the tech tech partners, which we just spoke about, who are important ones. The consulting mm -hmm. partners play an important role. They bring in a lot of program management capabilities in, in supporting many of the large-scale implementations as well. You have a very you need to have very strong program partners, the domain experts, the people who understand the domain. So if you're working in nutrition, you would need program partners there. Uh, you need mm -hmm. regional partners in many cases who help roll out these systems uh, at at scale down the line, uh, especially if you're work if you're talking about systems which work at the last mile, right? You need to have a lot yeah. of these NGO partners working in that space. And uh, last but not the least, you need very strong uh, MLE partners who do monitoring, learning, and evaluation for you uh, because yeah, you need to learn from those programs. Yeah, so mm. I remember once I'd put up a slide in, in one of the meetings uh, which had me at the center of it, some of the uh, 
the partners who I was working with. And I think I think the crisscross across those, the <laughs> lines across multiple partners and me trying to navigate through made people realize that it's not an easy task to do this. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. yeah, like I said, uh, I've, had, I've been lucky enough to have in each of those categories I mentioned very good partners to work with. So Fantastic. my job has been largely uh, been just to make sure that we're all pulling in the same direction. And, and actually, I was going to check on that question. Given all those different actors that you've you've named, and I, I definitely see why they all need to be at the table. Who do you see as the or in your experience, how has the convener convener role been played? You know, did it start off with you as the primary convener and then move off to another actor? Well, of course, the uh, if the work has been uh, executed as, as part of support to the government, the government is the convener. The government stakeholders mm. are the true conveners of, of all course. the partners. Right. India is a very large country. If, if you're working on a system, supporting a system for the central ministry in India, that system will necessarily get percolated down to various states, right? So mm. the ability to convene uh, meetings with the states is essentially uh, what uh, you rely on the central government teams to do. And they are very mm. good at it and they engage them effectively and bring them onto a table. My job was also to coordinate the allied partners, as I call them, the ones which I described, and then work mm. jointly with the government to enable it. So I think... I think we all, each of us had their responsibilities in what I, what they had to do. My responsibility as, as a Gates uh, person representing the foundation was to make sure that all the relevant partners the foundation was engaging and bringing onto the table worked well with the other partners who were brought, in, brought onto the table. Next up, Rahul talks about the CAS system. CAS is a smartphone application given to Anganwadi health workers across India. There's a couple things to note about this. This is easily one of the largest health worker programs in the world, with 1.4 million health workers spread out across India. They work at these community-based Anganwadi centers, providing maternal and child health services to women and children under six. Just picture it in your mind. These groups of very young children gathering at the Anganwadi centers to receive a hot meal, invest in their early childhood education, and treat the malnutrition, which affects over a third of all children in India. The idea is that this smartphone will allow those Anganwadi workers to better track nutrition status, vaccination, education, and a variety of other indicators for those children. Yeah, I think the, uh, the, the one project which uh, was the one I worked towards the last four or five years of my work at the foundation was the nutrition uh, program, where again, uh, a large uh, digital platform was created called CAS, and uh, it was uh, led by the ministry, and it was uh, rolled out to a very large section of the country. Now they're looking at upgrading it and coming out even with a better version of it, uh, which is now completely managed and sustained by the government. There was a lot of learning in that program, and I think some of the partners who were involved in it, who in the past, the largest project they might have done would have been, say, 5,000 frontline workers, or even less probably, and then all of a sudden, they were rolling out technology where Dimagi was the partner who worked with me for 650,000 frontline workers. Whew. That takes a lot and lot and lot of uh, work and effort. No joke. And the engineering that goes into it. Yeah, yeah. When people talk about scale. <laughs> so, you know, these programs, both the TB and the one with nutrition, were enormous scale programs and scale 
comes with its own set of challenges, right? But yeah. the amount of effort all these partners do put in, uh, in terms of engineering, building the right solution, making sure they test it out, the amount of field work which they have to put in to make sure. I remember in the nutrition program, the uh, market was involved, and I I used to visit their field area where they were testing it. This was near Delhi. Intensive amount of work. I think they spent four or five months just to test the solution with the frontline workers, the Anganwadis, the supervisors, the CDPOs uh, in that area. Yeah, because if you're going to scale it, you got to make sure it's the right one. Yeah, you got to you got to design it in such a way that it's it's the right one. It gets adopted, and there was massive adoption of that particular program. And uh, and I'm glad that now it's been looked at as the next wave, the next version of it. And uh, and hopefully that will bring in more uh, integration with health, because I think one of the goals we had was while this works well for nutrition, can it bring in um, health data as well so that you have because it's the same set of beneficiaries you're working with, right? Women and children, if you could integrate those two uh, towards a common platform, Uh, that to me is the holy grail. uh, And hopefully that will happen uh, with this new initiative the government's taken to move it forward. I certainly hope so. Rahul, speaking as someone from the Gates Foundation, I'm curious to hear for you personally, as the funder of the program, what are the the moments or the risks that stick out in your mind when you think about projects like this? Like how does, how, when, at what point do the challenges surface for you? And then how does your role play out in terms of addressing challenges that arise in a program like this? The challenge, if I may add, was how do you constantly balance scale and innovation? I think that's a tough one because, you know, when large programs get going, there is obviously a lot of pressure to scale them up fast, right? Yeah. You also need to have a way in which you're constantly innovating on your technology while you're scaling what works, right? Without disrupting what works, right? You'll have to do whatever, some A-B testing, set up a site separately to see what newer things can be done. But it's hard. It's not easy that you constantly do that while you're scaling. I was going to say, do we do we need to innovate while we scale? Can we just scale what works? Well, it, it depends on how ambitious you are. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I would constantly want to think that there are better ways. See, if a run, program runs for five years or six years, like the nutrition one was, clearly your thinking would have evolved over those five to six years, right? Clearly, there would have been newer ways of doing things Clearly, you would have learned from many other things which have happened elsewhere in the world, right? Are you constantly plying some of it back, not all of it, but some of it back into your program as you're scaling? So, yeah, I mean, it, it can seem that you want to change the tires of a moving car. But, uh, you know, sometimes the car just gets way too big for you to do that. Uh, or way too fast for you to do that. But it's something I've always thought more about and which probably kept me more awake that, hey, is this the best version of what we can do or can it be better? So yeah, these are the couple of things which come to my mind. Yeah, uh, so much to say about that topic. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll just say a little bit more, which is it, which is on, on this question of, of scale, and innovation and always making it better. There's there's this tension, you know, between the fact that we know it's a complex situation, it's emergent, like as you go, you know, after five years, certainly we can deliver better healthcare. And at the same time, there's a there's a sanctity around the service that we're being delivered where we're trying not to make any mistakes 
along the way yeah. because because there's so much at stake and we you know we can't get this this health protocol delivery wrong as we as we go along i'm curious what that what you think is the driver for for more you know you talk about the the pressure to scale and the pressure to innovate uh, where does that where does that pressure come from and how do you make those the trade off between those two things i don't, I don't know if there's an example you can talk about but it is it's a hard trade off <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, sometimes uh, success puts pressure, right? So if you yeah. see a program working well in certain places, uh, you, all of a sudden you generate a lot of interest in it, right? And more and more people want it. So in the nutrition program, initially we started with five or six states. It expanded to 10, 12 states. I think by the time I, uh, I exited the program, it was about 28 states. So there's constantly wow. a demand, demand, hey, can we also roll this out? And then for every uh, additional set of rollouts, you need to do a lot more things, right? You need mm-hmm. to do device procurement. You need to, in this case, this was a program dependent on the frontline workers having phones. So you need to make sure that those are made available in the in the new places. You make sure that the system works there. It's adequately tested. You have training set up to uh, to get it going. And then you constantly measure its adoption and retrain as required and so on and so forth, right? So as you expand and as you scale uh, and it, it works, then people start wanting more of it. So that puts more pressure. The resources are, you know, while as much as people would say the resources are, are endless, they aren't, right? Resources have to be managed and uh, they need to be made available when it can be. And in many cases, process needs to be followed, right? Because this is a public sector implementation. You need to follow due process uh, because the government has to make procurements of phones and other things. So, uh, so yeah, it's a, it's an interesting ride, I tell you. Um, <laughs> it's tricky. <laughs> I don't know if you are one of those people, but I am. I like to sit on the first row of a roller coaster. Me and my daughter, my <laughs> elder daughter. Oh my God! We will not take that. We will not take that roller coaster if the first seat is taken. So we'll wait for the next turn. Because, I can imagine uh, your poor daughter. No, no, she loves it as well. In fact, there are times when I'm not. I'm the one who's worried. She's like, "No, Dad, we need to sit up front." Uh, and I'm like, "Okay, are you sure? Because this is a big drop from there." Uh, I guess kids will keep us young and make us old. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, you just sometimes the thrill of it is just way too exciting. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen this. There's a television show called Silicon Valley, you know, about a bunch of geeks in California that are making a product. And it's funny because at, at the end of I mean, spoiler alert, but at the end of every season they have a big success. You know, they get funding, the product works, they have a breakthrough algorithm, and then that that cliffhanger is how much worse it's about to get, you know, because, oh, the technology works. Now you need 100,000 users. I was like, oh, you got 100,000 users. That's great. But now you now you have a billion, you know, I don't know, you have $500 million. What are you going to do with five? You know, like, and there is definitely something that resonates about what you're saying, you know. Right. Success brings work. You know, it brings risk. It brings, yeah. it brings you know, it, it never ends in terms of the, the roller coaster ride. That's just life. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Rahul, can I ask you a question about how this worked for you within the Gates Foundation. And, you know, you faced challenges like we all do. You've had hiccups and you've had some pretty significant successes under your portfolio. How is that work made visible within the Gates Foundation? How does that play out within your life and your work as an individual working for Gates? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, one of the changes which I had as I moved from the 
corporate consulting world to the foundation was how do you look at your goals? Obviously, a lot of the foundation goals are not like, hey, we're going to achieve this in six months or a year, right? Uh, they're mm-hmm. all far longer term goals, uh, changing health system or helping improve health systems or any of the other areas we work in takes a lot of time and effort, right? So the goals are not set like, uh, we don't have like a typical corporate uh, annual goal sheet per se, but we do have our overall goals within that one year cycle and how we are going to measure ourselves towards progress uh, in that particular year even if some of them may take longer to achieve. Uh, and that mm. way, the foundation gives you, just gives you an open slate that you decide how you want to do this. What is it that you want to set as a goal? Of course, we have our overall goals, but within that, what is it that you want to set as your goal? And most importantly, tell us what is it that you need, which will help you achieve it, right? Mm. And uh, I find that extremely, uh, in some ways, liberating because if you are really truly committed towards the sector and what you believe in what can be achieved in your particular area of work, if somebody gives you that freedom and flexibility, and then it really helps being the largest private philanthropy in the world, right? Because <laughs> Certainly doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, you do have resources made available to you. And it's not that they're available to you for anything you would like to ask for, but, you know, based on the fact that you can put forward a very, very good business case of it. Uh, I've been very lucky and privileged to have access to uh, that kind of resources at the foundation. I hope I have uh, delivered on uh, what what those resources made available, expected me to. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a very entrepreneurial environment to work in. You can chart your own course. And uh, that's what I like about the foundation and the way it works. Yeah, yeah. It sounds, from from what you're saying, it sounds like a set of, a small set, at least in India, (laughs) of high functioning individuals, you know, with a strong background like yourself. You came in with, you know, decades of experience already. Um, And once you start with that high functioning set of individuals, then they can work within that to understand the programmatic outcomes, you know, the health indicators that we want to change, but also chart your own course and accountability. You know, you know, you're working on a TB program, you know how much you're going to get done in a year and you can set that path and they'll hold you accountable to the path that you help carve out for yourself. And and the individuals are nothing if we didn't have the partners who work with us, right? So... (laughs) The individuals mm. are essentially as good as the partner ecosystem. So we've been very fortunate to have some very good partners to work with who mm. help us achieve the goals we all want to. Makes sense. What is, I know you've you've had a lot of good partners. I'm sure there have been some bad partners in there. Do you have any tips or guidance for future partners of, of the Gates Foundation? Like things that worked really well for you in partners and things that really didn't? <laughs> I'm sure if you ask that question to the partners that among, uh, you know, the program officers you had in the Gates Foundation, I'm sure they were good and bad ones. And I wonder where I would come in. Uh, because uh, I had a bit of a reputation as well. So, uh, oh, do you? But I, uh, What's your reputation? Well, it's best asked to the other people. But I think in, in, in general, I think first of all, it's it's a... Uh, it's a relationship of equity. When we work with the foundation, we work with our partners and they work with us. Uh, we treat each other with a great amount of respect and we have expectations from each other. So it's not 
it's not a it's not a vendor client relationship right it's not how mm. it works in the in the other world or uh, you know the corporate world it's a relationship of great equity uh, you are both expected to work towards the goals which you have set out yes you might uh, as a foundation be the one funding it but uh, the outcomes you are jointly responsible for achieving together so i think my best partners were the ones who truly viewed it like this who worked uh, completely uh, reliably and selflessly towards the goals and who were extremely transparent uh, even when we had the worst of times and uh, were able to acknowledge that probably there were things we should have done differently or things which were not done right so the most honest transparent and reliable partners are the ones which i cherish most uh, of course uh, everybody tries to be like that but yeah by and large it was those folks who just worked with us really well in true spirit of partnership uh, yes. and of course helped deliver uh, some of our successes mm-hmm. yeah and i think what helps in that relationship is you coming with the background that you do i imagine if someone you know if the you know gates program officer has no experience in technology it might be tough for a technology provider like demagi where i work to to say there's a bug in the system or, you know, we need to do a hot fix or something like that um, because maybe they have no idea that that's normal, that that happens in every, <laughs> in every software platform True. that's out there. And so there is, there's that, that balance of, of respect and knowledge that, that happens in, in a partnership like this. As somebody told me when you were talking about this nutrition program, which was, which was by far the world's largest such rollout saying that stars do need to align for some of those things to happen. and i think many stars did align for it to happen we really got great government support we had partners who worked really hard and we had the states who came in uh, who were implementing this program who really went uh, hammer and tongs at making sure it went well and let's not forget the the ones who were truly the stars in such programs it's the people who use that system and the platform the one i'm talked about is the anganwadi workers they were the yeah. rock stars the 650000 of them and similarly in the tb program uh, the tb officers and others who use it so truly they are the rock stars they are the ones who, for whom you designed it ultimately of course it's the beneficiary who will benefit from it but the users are the ones who need to implement it well right so truly it's those people who who make a difference and any work towards making it easier for them uh, making it worthwhile making sure that they are those reams and reams of registers which they fill i think i think there were 12 13 registers they fill huh. uh, that, uh, which was like 8 8 and a half kgs i remember showing bringing wow. that into a meet, meeting with bill gates once showing him the registers and then that's replaced by a 170 gram phone oh man <laughs> so it's, it's, that's a child it's right interesting there. The, the, <laughs> in the, yeah the, the power of technology the power of technology uh, if used well and used right can be enormous that's true rahul is there anything else you wanted to add before we switch over to a quick round of rapid fire questions oh wow now i'm scared <laughs> but yeah i think um, one of the learnings i had very early on uh, when i went into my orientation program you know you have an induction program like any other organization this may of 2014 it took some time for me to get to it but i finally did get to it and uh, uh, in fact <laughs> our ceo new ceo then uh, suit asmund helman was there as well and uh, 
we have this picture in in the office in Seattle where this was done. It's a picture of a child uh, from Africa, and we were and it, on top of it, it was written, "Who's your boss?" And uh, we were asked that, "What do you make of this?" I think the message was very clear that your boss in the Gates Foundation is that child who you're working for. Nice. Uh, uh, it's not anybody else who's on the payroll of the Gates Foundation. It's that child. Uh, he yes. or she is your boss. So uh, that's what we need to focus on. And uh, I think that was enormously powerful, that. that message. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, that's what most of the people in the foundation follow. That's beautiful. That's great. I need I need to get that at our office. <laughs> <laughs> Rahul, a few quick questions just to wrap up our show. One is if you have any advice for young professionals, you know, maybe young people who are thinking of working at the Gates Foundation or, you know, thinking of entering the nonprofit sector, um, you know, looking back on how you entered the sector, do you have any advice for them in their career? Yeah, so I think uh, if anything, the COVID pandemic has shown us that there are enough people out there who suffer far, far more than we would have uh, in this kind of a environment. And I've also seen there is a general sense of empathy which has increased in people towards people who are less privileged. And this pandemic has affected everybody for that matter. But I've seen mm. that the sense of empathy has gone up. And a lot of youngsters want to do a lot more work around social good, uh, social entrepreneurship. And I'm like, more power to you. Uh, my only advice would be just make sure that that's something you genuinely want to do for a consistent period of time. And it's just not something you've just thought through because you've seen uh, a bit of a, uh, you know, the environment, mm. the state of the world at this point in time. Uh, a lot mm. of people write to me saying that, hey, how can I get into the sector? And I give them whatever advice I possibly can. Uh, but also spend time in the field. Go and spend time in these uh, states and poorer areas where the people who are less privileged live, uh, you will get a greater sense of what life is there. Uh, it's almost like a parallel world out there. I remember my, my initial trips uh, to Bihar were extremely, extremely uh, disturbing for me because I was just getting used to seeing some of the things I was. So yeah, it's it's uh, more power to you if you want to get into this sector. Uh, mm -hmm. Do spend time in the field, see how things are. And uh, yeah, there are enough opportunities now. There are a lot of people doing a lot of good work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I like your point about stickiness. Um, one of the things I, I, I appreciate about what that Paul Farmer wrote in, in the book, Mountains Beyond Mountains, was, you know, as like a young 24-year-old wandering around Haiti, he's like, what can I bring that these, these doctors and these epidemiologists and these experts can't? Uh, and, and his answer to himself was stickiness. You know, <laughs> I'm going to... I'm going to, I'm going to be here, uh, right. you know, in a decade or two decades when these guys are gone <laughs> right. and he has. So we're power to him. Rahul, having worked with so many different stakeholders uh, over the course of your career, um, do you have, if, if, uh, if a policymaker or another donor or a government representative is listening to this podcast, um, is there any, any ask that you might make uh, for them, particularly looking ahead, you know, to the next digital health project? Well, uh, yeah, so I think uh, what I s said about the ecosystem, you know, working on building an mm. ecosystem, 
I think that would be yeah. my uh, my suggestion to at least the donors that don't look at it as grants uh, or uh, uh, specific projects which you are enabling. Look at it as are you contributing towards building an ecosystem or being part of an ecosystem because that's how you spread uh, uh, the the benefits of what worked well and that's how you spread the learnings of what did not work well. Uh, so I think th- this... I strongly believe in this ecosystem concept. You don't have to do everything yourself. Uh, there are many others who might have done it before you or who are intending to do it. They might have a better way of doing it. Uh, work on the ecosystem. Uh, and grants are important, but I think an ecosystem is even more important. Nice. Yeah, to uh, policyholders, stakeholders, people who in decision-making powers. I, I do think that uh, in India especially, and I'm sure that extends to other countries as well, more capacity in the government needs to be built around digital as well. So while partners do come in and they support, uh, I think, uh, some effort around building more capacity, uh, bringing in uh, some digital skills within ministries and departments. They have they have agencies who can provide those skills and they rely on them, uh, but also having them within the ministries and departments, I think, would really help because then they could really very well align with all the other partners who, who are coming in because they, they do have the digital background as well. So yeah, these would be yeah. just a couple of suggestions I would have. That makes a lot of sense to me, investing in that human capital that's running these systems, yeah. running these government systems and, and other systems. On the reading front, is there a resource that you use to stay up to date on what's going on um, in this industry, you know, news or article or blogs or anything like that? Well, uh, well, I think my uh, influencers. <laughs> I don't go a lot to Twitter actually, uh, <laughs> because uh, this is quite maddening out there sometimes. I think my my way of being connected to the industry is conversations. I like mm-hmm. to talk to people uh, in the ecosystem. I'm not a fan of the digital mode of conversation we've gone into in the last one and a half years. Quite honestly, I would like to be with people in the room. Unfortunately, that's not something we can do easily these days. But uh, I just talk to as many people as I can. Uh, and uh, that's how I get to know what's going on. Uh, I advise a few organizations as well. I learn from them and keep uh, abreast of what's going on. Besides, yeah, I mean, probably LinkedIn is the one where I get a few updates around what's going on. But mostly it's from conversations. That makes sense. No one is going to be more up to date than talking to a human that's living this work and doing it right now. <laughs> Very, true. Very true. Last question. Last question, Rahul. Just for fun, can you recommend a book, a blog, or a podcast? Uh, you know, maybe something you're reading now or something you want you you have read in the past. <laughs> I'm a terrible book reader, uh, but, <laughs> but there are sometimes I get hooked on. I have so many friends who read so well, and they have such great uh, ideas and recommendations. Yeah. Uh, and this is just like for fun, like for personal interest, it doesn't have to be related to digital health in any way. <laughs> sure. I, I mean, I don't think I've read anything on digital health, to be honest. <laughs> uh, uh, Great. <laughs> but I think the only, there's only one management book I've, I think, fully read ever. Uh, and this is just, huh. uh, uh, you know. Must be a good uh, one. Well, I mean, I just liked it a lot. Uh, it was, I think, with this guy called Marcus Buckingham. And uh, I forget the second guy's name. Um, first break all rules. It's about uh, <laughs> effective, uh, and you know, it's it, it sounds like you sounds know, like you. you. <laughs> uh, 
Well, the title does sound like me, but I think it's it's, it's actually a book on uh, effective teams and leadership styles and stuff like that. And Interesting. And I, I typically would never recommend a management book to anybody, but this is the one which which was based on a very uh, detailed and long study by Gallup, and they came up. Uh, so I, I'm I'm a very uh, evidence oriented person. I like to uh, see data data around it. So this is because it was a database book, and I read it quite a while back. I think this book came from 20 years back, uh, but it was based on oh. data. So it's it's it it tells you how how can you actually see which teams are more effective than the others. And in these 20 years, because I've been working for 24 years, I've tried to apply some of those principles into the teams I was, and I think more or less they've been on the mark. Uh, so I think nice. I I really like this book. And I am not uh, I don't read a lot, and I don't reread books a lot, so I've not reread it. <laughs> but I think it had such a great impact on me. Rahul, for those listening to this podcast that want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to find you? You can reach me out on my email ID. That's malik.rahul at gmail.com. Malik is spelled M-U-L-L-I-C-K. Or you can hook up with me on LinkedIn. Rahul brushes over a lot of key learnings in this conversation. And it's worth remembering that he's lived through scale. He's seen digital health technology deployed to one of the largest health workforces in the world and the ups and the downs of that journey for scale. I really liked his analogy about how scaling and innovation is like is like changing the tires of a car while it's still racing down the street. How when you're building a platform that takes five years to roll out to one of the largest countries in the world, you're necessarily going to want to change it as you go. That's hard. That's inevitable. And that's just part of the roller coaster ride to scale. I hope you enjoyed the show, everyone. If you'd like to learn more about some of the references and organizations and people that we talked about, you can check out our show notes at aidevolved.com. And if you have any comments about apps versus ecosystems or scale versus innovation, let us know. We're on Twitter at aidevolved. That's it for today. <laughs>